Happy New Year. Still saying it. Happy New Year. You know, last Christmas, my family went to the East Coast. My brother lives in Connecticut. You got some fans over there. And on Christmas Day, we had a secret Santa exchange. That's what we do. I guess it's a family tradition. Now, we've been doing this for consecutive years. And last year, because Reina sort of like magically arranges who gets who, right? And it's supposed to be random. And last year, I was assigned Reina. Like I was supposed to get a gift for Reina. You know, it was totally random. And um, I can't remember what I got her. And I was asking Reina, and she said, it's because you didn't get me anything. <laughs> and I have no recollection of that, honestly. I don't remember not getting her anything. So this year, we had another Secret Santa exchange. And uh, Reina did it randomly. And I was assigned Reina again. Randomly. Wow. Um, and so I thought, you know, this year I'm going to make it up to her. I'm going to make it up to her. Um, and so I was thinking about what my wife really likes and what she's really into. And I don't know if you guys know my, my wife, but she's very sentimental. And um, she's an amazing mom, an amazing wife. And, and so she's really into collecting, like, pictures, right? So um, for the Secret Santa, um, I, I, made her, I made her this uh, right here. Yeah, it's nice, all right? Um, and it was really, really cool because I, I didn't know you could, you could do it really easily over Mac. This is not an advertisement, but anyway. I, it, was, it was really cool, and, and, uh, and I was thinking of all the, like, the, the people in her life, and I put it all into this, and it's, just, it's not really long. And so she, she, she tore it open, and she looked at it, and then she looked at me, and then she... She got all misty-eyed, you know? And I was like, yes, you know? Uh, I want to read the inside flap to you because you can actually write inside this book. And this is, uh, So dear Reina, I feel so guilty for missing the gift last year and not getting you anything, so I wanted to get this guilt off my shoulders. I threw this together in 20 minutes. I hope that you and the family will see what a great husband I am. Merry Christmas, Andrew. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. This is like, this is the sticky note right here. I, I, didn't, I didn't write that. But I just, I just want to, you to imagine, like, you thought this was going a certain way, and at some point when I read that, you're like, no, 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 right? Now imagine if I did write that, and she read the flap, and she heard the reason, what do you think my wife would say? She would probably say, why don't you keep this for yourself? Because clearly you made this for yourself. Now, doesn't this mean that it's not just a gift that you give another person that has meaning, but it's why you give them that gift, right? Now, the, the, the truth is, I'm, I, I gave this gift to my wife. It was from my heart. 
I mean, I do treasure her, I do cherish her, and she's been an amazing partner to me for many, many years, just standing by my side through thick and thin. She's an amazing wife. I am indebted to her. And yeah, this book came out of that. But you can imagine that if I give my wife a gift and it comes out of obligation or it comes out of guilt or it comes out of really, it's really about me and wanting to look good, she's like, I don't want that gift. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, I, I realize that I haven't really clarified, like, what is it that we want to get out of this book? And, and maybe I, 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 that, that's been brought to my reality. Last week, we went and had a town hall meeting, and there was, uh, there was a question, there's a lot of great questions, but one question that was asked is, how do we know that we have fulfilled our mission as a church? For those of you who were in the town hall, you maybe remember that question. You kind of remember me stumbling in answering that question because I think I misunderstood the question. But I think the question was asking, where are we going as a church and how do we know that we've gotten there? As I've been reading the Gospel of Matthew, it's been just really clear to me what the mega theme is. And it just seems to come up again and again and again. And so... I really feel like the mega theme of Matthew is simply this. God is not after our sacrifice. God is not after a, a, a gift that comes from just guilt or obligation or just doing stuff to kind of make ourselves look good or to think that I've, I've done my duty. But what God really wants, and I don't know if you've heard me say this over and over, but I think we need to keep on saying this as we journey through Matthew. What God really wants is our hearts. He wants us to treasure him and love him and find him ultimately satisfying. God wants a heart that beats with love for him and, and worships him. And that's why we're going through Matthew because uh, maybe you feel like it's been a while since you've really engaged God with your heart. And we want to find that, that worship and that first love back for God. And so, um, so that's why we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. You know, there's a monitor right here. Can we, um, can we shut that off? That's kind of... <clears throat> no, I got it. Bobby, you just stay right there. I got it. I'm just kidding. Okay, no, no, no. Good. Thank you. Distractions. Okay, Okay. Um, so we're going to go into Matthew 15, and I'm pretty excited about this message. Uh, I think it's a sticky message. Uh, we want to uh, uh, work through this, um, this text, and sure enough, it seems like chapter after chapter, there's, uh, there's this theme where it's like God wants our hearts. God wants our hearts, not our sacrifice. You've heard it before in the Gospel of Matthew where... Um, where Jesus says, says this, um, uh, God does not want your sacrifice, but he wants your mercy. And you remember that. And mercy is not, I mean, mercy is a covenantal loyalty. So God is not really into your sacrifice, but he's really into your covenantal loyalty from your heart, you know. And sure enough, this scripture is going to go through that same theme. And so that's where we're going to go. But we're going to ask two questions. Number one is uh, what does it look like to have that new heart? 
What does it look like to have that new heart? Number two, how do I get this new heart? All right? Now, um, I'm believing that there's going to be a supernatural thing that happens when we encounter God's word. Can I, so I, can I have just have you stand, and I'm going to pray for us, and just uh, ask God to really bless this time again. And with, if, if you would do something uh, for me, if you could just put your hand over your heart. I'm going to pray for, for all of our hearts, and then we're going to read the scripture, and we'll just see what God does, okay? Um, dear Father, I, I realize that when we come here on Sunday morning, it's not just a, a normal teaching, but what we need is supernatural power. And so your word is supernatural, and your spirit is supernatural. And so I am praying that through your word and through the power of your spirit, you would be changing hearts this morning. You would be doing what I cannot possibly do just by good preaching. You would be speaking to people. There would be conviction. There would be clarity. But ultimately, people would hear your voice. So please cleanse this heart so we can hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Okay, let's go for it. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother shall surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God. He, do, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of God, of men. All right, I, I need to do a little bit of explaining. When the Pharisees wanted Jesus to wash his hands and his disciples to wash their hands, it, you need to understand it wasn't for the purpose of hygiene. It's, it's not like, you know, they were really into hygiene and Jesus was not. That, that's not it. The issue was ritual cleansing. So for the Pharisees... Uh, washing your hands before a meal was really, was really important to them. It was a sacred tradition for them. And so when Jesus didn't do that and his disciples didn't do that, they started to criticize Jesus. And then Jesus, in this uh, narrative, what he does, he, he kind of turns, turns the table on them. And he starts to call them out. But not in retaliation what, what he's doing is he's getting to the very heart of the matter, and he's correcting them. And uh, I, I need to do a little bit more explaining, like, where all this comes from. You see, if you go back into the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, what you see is that the Israelites, they're coming back from exile, and their exile was a punishment for not taking God and his command seriously. And so when they came back to Israel, you got to understand, they came back with this mindset of never again 
we are never again going to lose our way and disobey God and then get punished. No, not going to happen again. So what they did is they, they picked up the book of the law, they studied it, and they started to explore all the ways that the law should be applied into every situation of their lives. And the end result is they got two authorities. One is the word of God, but one is these, these traditions that they came up with where they really thought through how the law needs to be applied in every situation of life. Now, as they formed these traditions, just human nature just kind of took over. And so what you get as you look at these traditions, there's a thread of self-centeredness and self-righteousness, and it just kind of got woven in. And then over time people actually started to value the traditions more than they value the scripture. And um, by the time of Jesus, they were using these traditions to justify their self-centeredness and their self-righteousness, and they were using the traditions to kind of give lip service to God. Now here, Jesus is going to be like, here, let me give you this prime example. And uh, the prime example, it's not here in this gospel, but I think it's named in, in Mark. It's called Corbin. You guys want to say that with me, Corbin? And so the idea of Corbin is, uh, let's say your parents are getting old, and uh, back then they didn't have 401Ks. Well, they, they did. It's called children, and that's why they had a lot of children, right? And so kids were commanded to honor their parents by providing for them in their old age. Like the way you honor your parents practically is you provide, you provide monies for them. You provide for them financially. It was the most practical way to do it. But the Pharisees... They came up with this tradition. And the tradition is that whatever you might have provided your parents, maybe it's a property, maybe it's a sum of money, you can actually declare it Corbin, which means dedicated to God. And what that means is that you actually don't have to give it to your parents. You have given it to God. And so it sounds really good, right? Mom, Dad, I didn't know. I'm sorry. That house is not going to be yours I've given it to God. And people go, oh, wow, well, good for you, right? But there was no accountability around that. So you can say that you're giving it to God, but, there's no, and, but people wouldn't, and they would kind of keep it for themselves, and it would be self-centered, and they would indulge themselves, right? And so they would use this tradition to justify their self-centeredness and their self-righteousness, and then they would say, it's Corbin, and they would give lip service to God. Now, Jesus is calling them out. Look at verse 6. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So in other words, here is tradition, and the source is from, hum it's human-made, and then there is the word of God, and the source is from God, right? And they were valuing the tradition and listening to the tradition more than they were the word of God. Now, let me just ask you, let me just ask you, do we do this? I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, we read about the Pharisees. But do we do this? Is this something that we do? No, it's not something that we do. You know, I had to really think this one through. And so um, last week, I'm like, hey, Calvin, let's sit down. And actually, I said with our staff team, let's sit down and let's think of our church family. You know, we're all part of this family, Right? Do we do this? And, and how do we do this? Where our traditions, where self-centeredness and self-righteousness are kind of woven in, you know? 
mean more to us and something we follow more than the word of God. And, and we came up with four. And I want to share the four with you. All right, the first one um, is, is parenting. Uh, I, I think for some reason, I, you can call it like a, a Bay Area tradition, right? And uh, if, we're, if, we're, if we're doing it, it's probably because there's some sort of teaching behind it, right? But the Bay Area tradition is that we will enroll our kids in every activity under the sun. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like sports or this club or this class and more sports. And we just load it up. We just load up their schedules, right? And I think the thinking is that we want to keep our kids stimulated. Why? Because we want to give them every tool for their future success, right? That's how we think. That's how I think. And so, you know, uh, we think about the different activities, yes to this and yes to this and yes to this. And here's the thing, our kids will kind of get in that groove and maybe they'll excel in the field or whatever. And, of course, they want to do that. And then suddenly we look at the calendar and there's certain things like church or youth group and it just gets squeezed out. Now, that's, that's how we do it in the Bay Area. Now, let's just, let's just stop and let's, uh, let's, let's look at the Word of God and let's think. Is this how the Word of God would have us live? Well, I do think that as we look in the Word of God, I do think that as we look in the Word of God, I think the Word of God would challenge us. And I think the Word of God would challenge us in how we define success, right? What does success look like for our kids? And I think the Word of God would say, does it look like... Um, achievement and them going to a certain school. And I think the word of God has said, or does it look like our kids are growing up and they have a rich relationship with God. They love God with such a passion. And I think, that, I think a lot of people will go, well, you know, come on, can't we have both? You don't have to be so simplistic, right? We, we can have both. And I think uh, I think it comes down to the question of what is the driving mission of your parenting? Is the driving mission of your parenting success in terms of how the world defines success? Or is the driving mission of your parenting success and how the scriptures define the success? That they're in love with God. And so if it's really like, okay, no, no, no. The, the driving mission of our family is, according to Ephesians 5, it's to bring up kids in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Okay, that's it. That's it. Now, if that's it, then we look at the calendar, and we look at the activities, and we go, okay, what sort of things do we need to fill in the schedule to get our kids on that track? Because that is what success looks like in the eyes of the Scripture. <clears throat> now, listen, you can ask that driving question, and you can come to the conclusion of, you know, we're not going to take our kids out of the sports team. There's some really some goodness that's there, and they're going to they're miss church sometimes. 
And maybe it's going to look like we're going to start family devotions. Or maybe it's going to look like, no, 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 no. The parents, if we have a driving passion for God, that's going to be the most contagious things for our kids. So I'm really going to work on my own passion for God, right? So I don't want to be legalistic about this. But it's really about the heart. And it's really about how we look at success and it shapes our parenting. Okay, what about this issue? Um, we did name four. So the second issue that we identified was, um, was singleness. Singleness, that's right. Um, I, I am going there. Um, now, we have a significant group of young people who are coming to church, and we love that. And uh, I, I once had someone, like, ask me, and say, hey, Andrew, um, if I was a young person coming to church, and, and I know that my intro with the whole thing with Raina doesn't help, but, um, but, but, he, but he, this person was saying, are we giving this message that the goal in life is to be married and have kids? And it made me think, like, no, I, I don't say that, you know, or... Or do I? Or maybe that message does come across. I'm just wondering, you know? And I'm wondering, like, the, in the, the culture of our tradition or the tradition of our culture, like, what's the teaching? I don't know if it's church or driven by the world, but is the message sort of like, if you are single, then you are not complete until you have found the one? You know? Is that the message that we're giving? Is the message that we're hearing or thinking that if you're single, there's, there's got to be something wrong with you? Is that, is that the message? Now, what do, what do the scriptures say? What do the word of God say? Well, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, like, the, the very founder of our faith is Jesus Christ, right? And he was single. And his premier apostle, Paul, was also single. What does that mean? And then, I, mean, I don't know when the last time. When was the last time you, you read 1 Corinthians 7? Right? Now, here's a picture, 1 Corinthians 7, of a man who's so in love with God, right? And he's talking to a whole church. He's so in love with God. He's like, look, 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 look let me tell you. You, you don't need to get married. Maybe it's better for you not to get married. In fact, he's recommending, say, actually, it's better for you not to get married. You know why? You know why? Because if you are single, then you can serve God wholeheartedly. And you don't have to be all divided all the time. Now, how many of you are married? Just raise your hand. That's a divided person right now, ladies, in their hand, right? Come on, you know it, right? And here's, here's Paul like, oh, man, you're single? Whoo, right? Leverage this. You have more time and more availability to just be in love with God and just serving him wholeheartedly, Right? Now, we don't often think about that way of singleness. Everything in our, 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 the message, oh, we got, I got to get married. And Paul's like, no, you don't. Leverage this to the glory of God, right? The scriptures, I mean, it changes your heart. It changes the way you see singleness. All right, let's do career choice. How about career choice? Let's talk about career choice. Now, the tradition of our culture says you should find a job that, that, 
that uh, will make other people admire you. I don't, I don't know if, if, you, you, if you hear that voice, if you think about that voice. I don't know if that... Or, or how about this? The closer to Google and Facebook you are, the better off you are. Is that getting more hits? Right? And I know there's a lot of young people who are in the process of really processing, you know, what am I called to? What is God calling me to? And I, I just want to point out, what do the scriptures say? I know what tradition and our culture says. What does the scripture say? And, and the scriptures, Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, he must what? He must deny himself. And denying yourself to follow Jesus might, it might mean a career that doesn't pay that much. It might mean a career that doesn't get you a lot of respect. It's funny, in my first draft, I was naming certain careers like that, and then I said, I'm not going to name them. It's probably a better move, right? What if you, what if you were, were thinking about your career, but these were your values? What career is going to help me love God with all my heart, love other people, and serve the world in the unique way that God has created me? I mean, that, now we're talking, right? That's, that's more in line with the scripture. All right, last one. What about uh, retirement? What about retirement? What does our culture teach? Well, I, I think our culture teaches that you know, you work hard now, and then when you retire, you just, you take it easy. It's the good life, and you indulge yourself, right? I mean, that sounds really good, right? I mean, can we all admit that sounds pretty awesome, yeah? The only problem with that is, like, I'm, I'm looking through all the scripture, and first of all, I can't even find the word retirement in here. Ah, but hold, hold, hold. I also can't find the word dating in here either. So we should just do none of it, right? Or, because of the scripture, does that change the way that we see stuff like dating and singleness and parenting and retirement? Okay, well, if, if retirement is not a time to indulge myself, then what is it? Well, according to the scriptures and to the flow of the scriptures, I think retirement should be a time where you get to do, you get to serve people in all the ways that you've wanted to, and now you finally get the freedom to do it. You're not, you're not working for the man to pay bills, right? You are now free to do ministry and to do the ministry you've always wanted to do, right? And I'll give you an example. I, 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 had, um, I had coffee with Pastor Brian and Pastor Brian was a former pastor, um, and he's been retired for two years. And I'm, like, sitting down with him and, like, hey, how is retirement? And he goes, oh, it's so great. It's idyllic. I'm, like, idyllic? Who uses that word? But he, he, he was thinking it's so cool he wanted to use a word that no one uses, right? And then he starts to talk to me, like, about how in church we tend to neglect a certain group of people. And his heart is really going out to those people. And he's, like, now... In, in these years, I really want to do senior citizen ministry. And I'm looking at him, and he's retired. He's, 
I'm like, right on, Pastor Brian, right on. That inspires me. I think of people in our church who are serving in, in their free days, like, like serving at Harbor House, you know, and different ministries that people in our church have taken on. And I was sitting in the back, and, uh, and Jimmy and Masako, who's like 93, come up to me. And they go, hey, it's Pastor's Appreciation, and we got you this card, right? And it's a Barnes & Noble's gift card. I'm really touched by this, right? Because Masako's like in her 90s. And I received that. I'm like, you know something? The message was like they're saying to me, we still got it. You know, we still got it. We still have good things to offer. We want to serve and love. So how about that? How about that? You guys are running a good race, and it doesn't stop in retirement. So, you know, in all these things like parenting, singleness, career choice, retirement, I think Jesus is like, hey, let's be honest. Who are we listening to? Like, who's our authority? Because if we're listening to the culture and if we're listening to tradition, then self-centeredness gets woven in and self-righteousness gets woven in. I mean, look at verse 8. Jesus says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people honor me with their lips, lip service, but their heart is far from me. So if we're listening to the culture, where is that culture going to take us? It's going to take us to lip service. It's going to take us to self-centeredness. And, and God loves us too much to let us continue like that. Jesus is giving us this teaching because he loves us. He wants change for us. And he wants us to have a new heart. Now, when you're abiding by the scriptures and when you're abiding by the new heart, man, singleness is not the same. I mean, everything's different. Career choices, you don't look at that the same. Parenting, you don't look at that the same. Retirement, you don't look at it the same. Everything changes. It's a new heart. Let's go on with verse 10. And he, Jesus, called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. Now, let me just make the connection. When he calls the people to him, this is connected to the, the previous scripture that we just studied. In the previous scripture that we just studied, um, the, the Pharisees wanted Jesus to wash his hands, Right? And so Jesus is linking this teaching with that one. Hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He said, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands 
does not defile anyone. Uh, I, I'd like to illustrate kind of what's happening here um, from a kind of a bird's eye perspective, if, if, if I will. Uh, I, I want you to imagine that the, the Pharisees are at this table and Jesus is at this table, right? And all of a sudden, before everyone eats, before the main event, they bring this out. It's a box of Band-Aids. And they go, everyone, okay, distribute this around. And they're just passing out Band-Aids. And they go, okay, open it up, split it up, put it on, right? That's what we're doing. Everyone get a Band-Aid. I just want you to imagine Jesus going, you guys know, the Band-Aid, are we really doing Band-Aids? Is it, is it really? Is that what we need? Wait, is the problem like a, a paper cut? Because if the problem is a paper cut, yes, we should probably use Band-Aids, right? But the problem is much deeper. Now just imagine, I, I know, I don't, I, 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 just imagine Jesus like, look, you know what we really need? And Jesus like pulls out like a, a pocket knife, right? No, 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 what, what we really need is surgery, and we really need something much deeper. We need to actually give you all heart transplants. You all need a new heart. Now the Pharisees are no, 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 whoa, 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 okay, okay, yeah, right. This Band-Aid is not big enough, but look at this. We got this big Band-Aid. And she's like, no, 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 no. You need something far deeper. The world does not need more superficial religion. We need... Look, Jesus, Jesus is like, look, 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 do you, do you understand the real problem? It's not a paper cut. The real problem is the human heart. And so your real need is not a band-aid, it's not washing the hands, it's not watching what you eat. What you really need is a new heart. You see that? That's all right here. That's all right here in this passage. This is really profound stuff. Now, now, Peter is saying, um, uh, Jesus, um, <clears throat> can you explain this teaching uh, to us? And then, and then Jesus says, well, look, it's not what you're putting in, it's what comes out. You know, it's not the food or the unwashed hands that you're putting in. It's the terrible stuff that's coming out, right? Now, I want you to look at verse uh, uh, 19. Look at verse 19. I want to break this down, Okay. Jesus gives a list of seven things that talk about the brokenness of the human heart. Seven areas. Now, if, if I want to break this down, um, two of them are sexual. Uh, two of them deal with words. Two of them deal with harming people. Granted, it's pretty extreme. You're murdering someone, right? Um, and then the other one was with property. But really, what's the umbrella one? It's the real umbrella one's the first one. I mean, if you want to cover all the bases, it's, it's stemming. All this, the source of it is from evil thoughts, right? And so it, 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 that is the source that's giving evil life to all these six. Now, I just wonder if there's some people here, and like, honestly, you're like, ah, you know, honestly, ah, I don't really think I'm a bad person. You know, I'm pretty good. I haven't killed anyone like that. You know, I, my grades are pretty good. I, I think I'm... You know, and then just imagine Jesus going, okay, well, let's, 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 let's go through this list. You know, this is not a very popular thing to do. You probably wouldn't do this at a party, but here is Jesus just keeping it real, right? Let's talk about sexual purity. Oh, no, 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 come on. Let's talk about the past two weeks. 
Things you did, things you thought. Oh, okay. All right, that's me. That's, and then some people may well, actually, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then Jesus keeps on going, okay, well, let's talk about the words that came out of your mouth. Remember what you said last Tuesday? Remember what you said at the staff meeting? Remember what you said behind the back of that person? Remember, remember that? Would you want someone to say that to you? No, no, no. Okay, okay, I'm guilty. And then, then how about this one? How about just hurting people? Well, I haven't murdered anyone. Yeah, 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 but, but you might have in your heart. You didn't forgive them for their, you didn't forgive them. And then imagine Jesus, like, dropping the first one. And it just covers everyone. How about evil thoughts? No, no one's going to lay. Oh, I have not thought one evil thought. I mean, everyone's going to go, okay, evil thoughts. Yes, yes, yes. Do I want you to share some of the things that I thought about in front of? No, I don't. Please do not share that, Jesus, right? Okay, now everyone's just feeling awful. And everyone's okay. Okay, you got me. That's me. <clears throat> My, my, my son, Ryan, when he was uh, six years old, he was doing something really naughty. Um, I don't know if you've, uh, like, okay, my older son is bigger than my second son, like much bigger. And he was back then, and he still is, right? He, like, towers over him. So he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of, of height on his brother. And so we caught him once, and he was, like, um, <laughs> he was oppressing his brother, okay? We'll just say that. He was doing something he shouldn't be doing, using his strength to oppress his brother. And this was really disturbing to Raina and I. And we, we, we got him alone. We separated him from his victim. And, we, and we, we said, Ryan, why'd you do that? You're so much bigger than your brother. Why are you picking on him? Now, we've been taught that when you do this, you actually got to get on his level, and you got to look, you look eye to eye, and we're thinking of a heart-to-heart conversation. saying, why'd you do it? It wasn't mean. It was like, why'd you do that? And, and he looked back to this, and he said, I, I don't know. And then we said, no, that's not a good answer. What would you know if you did know? That's a trick that Raina, it's like a Jedi mind trick, right? <laughs> Je- I don't know. I, I like it. I like it. I'm like, but if you did know, what would you know? So he's like, I don't know. I mean, what, if you did know, what would you know? I mean, come on, be honest with you. This is a safe place. And he looks at us and he goes, because, and he's like, almost, I'm evil inside. <laughs> Have you been listening to Jesus in Matthew 15? Actually, I don't know. I, sometimes kids get it way before adults do. I mean, they just see you with eyes of simplicity. Can it be that my son actually sees the very heart of the problem? Why, why would you do that? Oh, you, it's, I'm evil inside. You guys, is that really why we do what we do when we peel behind the layers? You know, honestly, it's because I'm evil inside. I don't need hand washing. I don't need a band-aid. I need a new heart. Now, now let's say you're with my son, and let's say you own this. Okay, let's be honest. I, I, I am evil inside. Now, now get this. Let's say you're sitting at the table of Jesus, and he gives this teaching, and then that's how he ends it. I mean, did you, did you, have you read this? That's, like, that's how he ends it. I mean, where, where, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Um, Okay, verse 19, right? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. God bless you guys. I'm glad you came over for dinner. What's going on? Like, this is like the ultimate, like, downer. 
And then Jesus just closes the teaching. That's it. Now, now let's say you're tracking with Jesus. You know, the sexual, immor- okay, yeah, that's me. You know, uh, the words that you say, okay, that, that's me, that's me. And then you, you kind of go down the list. Hurting people, okay, I've hurt, I've hurt some people. Evil, th- okay, I'm guilty, I got it. What's your next question? Your next question is, well, well then, how do I get a new heart? Fine. I mean, you're not really going to stick this in me, are you? And, and then Jesus is like, okay, that's it. We're done with the teaching. No, here's my point. Jesus wants you to be in this place. Of like, okay, yeah, yeah, I want it. I want it. I want it. Give it to me. What do I do? What do I do? He wants you to be in this place. Why? Because he's going to provide you the answer, but he doesn't want to provide you an answer that you actually don't want. He's going to give you what you need, but you have to ask the question. What's the question? Well, how do I get a new heart? Okay, and then you, you go in Matthew, and then you turn the page. Now you go to the ch- chapter 16. What is Jesus talking about in 16? He's talking about the cross. Why does Jesus need to go to the cross? It's because I'm evil inside. I need a savior. And here is Jesus saying, that is why I'm going to sacrifice myself on that cross. And then you flip the page over again. What does Jesus talk about? The second coming. These are the answers. This is what we need. And so Jesus dies on that cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And he dies on that cross so that he can put a deposit inside each one of us of a new heart. It's called the Holy Spirit. It's a deposit. It's moving towards something. You're going to change. And on the day that Jesus comes back, you will be completely changed. And so every day we're just waiting with bated breath and we're fighting this good fight and we're growing. And that's the Christian life. I was talking to my, <clears throat> my brother about this passage and he says to me, Andrew, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Because, you know, my, my, I have a good brother and so he knows that I'm preaching in Matthew. He wants to get into the scripture. So he was like, how about... I go through it and read it first, and we just talk about it, and it'll help you do your sermon prep. I'm like, yeah, cool, okay, let's do that. So we're talking, he's like, I'm reading in Matthew 15 about a new heart, and here's my honest confession. I'm like, okay, what? He says, I've been a Christian for a while, and uh, I used to be really passionate about God in the beginning, but just with time, I just kind of lost a lot of that, and now I just kind of feel like I'm going through the motions. That's what he told me. And he said, I bet you a lot of people in your church probably going to have the same story. What advice do you have? And my older brother, you know. The thing with my older brother is you can't get preachy with him. You know, you can't. You, can't, you do that, he would just. <clears throat> and so what I, what I said is, I said, <clears throat> Dave, um, I've been reading the, the, the gospel of, of Matthew. And uh, what I'm about to say, don't take it the wrong way. Um, Jesus came into public ministry. His first word was repent. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. It means change your heart, change your mind, get help. And so my best counsel to you with all humility is just every day just cry out to God and say, God, I'm going through the motions. Um, I, don't, I, I feel kind of dry inside. Would you give me a new heart? Would you give me a new heart? Just every day, just call out to God. And I guarantee you, in his time, he will give you that new heart. He goes, well, how do you know? Well, because Jesus died to give that to you. He paid the ultimate price. You think he's not going to give you the reward and the benefit of that? Well, when you put it that way, yeah. 
But every day you just need to repent and say, God, do that work that only you can supernaturally do. And I guarantee you, he will do it because of the cross, because of the price that he paid. I, I, I also want to close the, the, the message just sharing a, a few words of comfort for people who, I don't know, might actually feel kind of dissatisfied with their, their, their growth, with the change that's been demonstrated in their lives. Uh, I, I would say this passage, chapter 15, has caused me to do some reflection. I've been reflecting. I've been a Christian for 28 years. Some of you guys are not even 28 years old. I've been a Christian for 28 years. And I was asking, honestly, through the lens of chapter 15, have I changed? And I was thinking about this, like, 25 years ago, I really didn't care that much about God's glory. Just didn't mean that much to me. I feel like I really care about that now. 25 years ago, I, I wasn't into global missions at all. I think I'm really passionate about that now. <laughs> 14 years ago, I um, was about to get married. I don't know if some of you have heard this story. And I was honestly on this track of having like a mediocre marriage at best. I'm just being honest with you. Something happened. Something happened. I'm not that same guy. And I have a way better than mediocre marriage. 25 years ago, I used to be pretty insensitive. Yeah, I'm still insensitive. Okay. But I've gotten a little bit better. You should have met me 25 years ago, okay? I'll say one area of my life where I'm, I'm struggling is <clears throat> as a pastor... If you're going to thrive as a pastor, you need to be good at receiving criticism. But here's my confession. 25 years ago, I was pretty bad because I, I weigh myself in my performance. 25 years later now, I'm still pretty bad. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, I don't see a lot of growth there. I don't see a lot of change of heart. I'm a little bit disappointed. I'm more than disappointed. I remember a mentor of mine said that his prayer was, God, give me the mind of a scholar and the heart of a child, and the skin of a rhinoceros. I would be much happier as a pastor if I could take criticism and just grow from it. But you know what the bottom line issue? I'll be honest with you. You know what the bottom line issue? The bottom line issue is I care more about what other people think than about what God thinks. That's the bottom line issue. And I don't want to be this way. I actually want to be a pastor. Like, you know, I do care what other people think. I care much more about what God thinks. That would free me up to, to new levels of joy. I want to change. I do want to change. Now, I'm just sharing this because I know that many of us, there's areas of our life where it's like, yeah, and this thing, I want to change too. You know, we're talking about the list of those, those six, you know, uh, uh, places of evil in the human heart, like, you know, like, sexual purity or it's maybe the words that you say or maybe it's how you hurt people. Now, I want to encourage you. You know, if I'm honest with you, I would say that if I take a really sober look, I have grown in certain ways. And I should give God more credit. Like, I am more aware of my sin than I ever was before. 
And I am more reliant upon Jesus to do anything ministry-oriented than I ever was before. And I love my Jesus more. I love him more. Am I growing? Well, I think so. You guys, I I just want to say that we're in this together. We are in this together. It's a fight. It's a grind. There's daily repentance. Sometimes there are areas where it's slow growth. Maybe it's because God is doing some internal work, and that just takes more time. But keep fighting. And one day when Jesus comes back, you will get the answer to your question ultimately. He will completely change your heart. But right now, he's giving you a deposit. And that deposit is going to grow. And then it will fully blossom when he comes back. And that's called the Christian life. Are you ready for this fight? We're going to lean upon Jesus every step of the way. And he is good. Pray with me. Father, I, I pray for my church family. I know that we are in this together. I know that you have called us and you are a beautiful Savior and that all the answers are in you. Father, I just want to pray for our church. Um, You have given us this deposit of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that we would recognize that and you would help us to live this new life, this new heart. You're doing a surgery in us. And uh, you've called us to participate. Jesus, we trust you alone with the scalpel. You make the shots. You call us to be like you. Do your amazing work inside us. In Jesus' name we pray.